Hi guys, um, welcome back to the Search for Pink podcast. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. I love you for that. Today we're going to be talking to my friend Alyssa Landreth. We met in college, I want to say I was a maybe a senior or a junior, and Alyssa was this really cute little baby freshman when I met her. So Alyssa and I have, we haven't seen each other in a while, but we have kept in touch over Instagram, and I don't know, I think it's really cool to see the person she's become, which is someone so thoughtful, and I think she's gone through a lot. Trying to find your place in the world as a woman in your early 20s, and you're told to be one thing, and then you're not fitting into that, and it's just, it's a lot. And we've DM'd about, like, mental health, and now, now I'm, like, (laughs) explaining myself. So she is now a postpartum doula, which is really cool. I think she was a English major in the beginning of it, um, when I met her, our friendship. One of the things I'm wanting to do on the Search for Pink podcast is I'm wanting to talk to people who, you guys know, I love the industry I'm in. I love the people I get to talk to. As you can tell, I freak out getting to talk to them. But I also want to learn. I freaking love learning. And Alyssa reached out. And then I was like, she has a she has a job that I know nothing about. <laughs> so I, um, what was it? I asked, I, today I texted her. I was like, hey, can we talk about the birth industry? And then I was like, did I just come up with that? But I don't know, postpartum doula, um, birth. I don't, I've never given birth. My mom is actually a lactation consultant, which is a real certification. So I do know a little bit about that, but I have no idea where it fits in. Um, but anyways, it's been a long day. Um, my cat just went into heat and I don't think I'm going to be able to get her fixed until like March 1st. So she's just particularly clingy right now. Um, my car went into the shop. I just saw one of my dear friends, but we talked for four hours, which I love. But now I got like really introvertly drained. And so I put on my favorite bachelor recap podcast gonna drink some green tea before these these conversations always energize me so much but I've had to do like two hours of like isolation and prep I'm gonna go drink that green tea and a friend of mine is dropping off a bathrobe so I'm excited to go grab that and then I'm gonna talk to Alyssa in like 20 minutes you seem like a plant person. No, I do. You do. <laughs> I'm not. I am not opposed to it. I feel like I could be. I just am not. I I feel like one day you're gonna have one of those Instagram feeds where it's gonna be like a rainforest and this. It's yeah, really surprising yeah. you're not a plant mom. Okay. Well. I feel like I would be both a good plant mom and also I always every Christmas feel like I should be really good at wrapping presents Mm. and really good at yeah like packaging I am so not and every year I'm surprised by how bad I am at it do you have good handwriting no what (laughs) I know (laughs) I feel like this I guess this is a good introduction to you is that you seem like someone (laughs) (laughs) nice handwriting and good at wrapping and plants the only thing I'm kind of decent at is I really enjoy wrapping gifts so I got a job at paper source have you ever been there yes I love paper source I wanted to learn to be good at wrapping presents and so I got a job there 
and they taught me the ways and then they were like okay here you go and then I just wanted to I'm good with customers but I became really obsessive with unpacking the boxes and sometimes they were like Rebecca like make sure you're interacting with people on the floor. And then I was like, mm, I'm not getting Thanksgiving off and I quit. That's some dedication to learn a skill, to get right. a job, to learn a random skill. Yeah, you, I could have watched a YouTube. Very random skill. <laughs> yeah. I could have watched a YouTube video, but inside I went through an application and training <laughs> process and then I quit. Uh, <laughs> well, so anyways, that's always an option. Okay, so... Let's time capsule. I was doing the intro for this before. Remind me, what was your major when you started out, when we met? And also, here I was. Yeah, you were a senior when I was a freshman. And you, like, took me under your wing. And it was really cute. And you were like, it's fine. Like, if you want to sit alone, like, it's fine. And I get it. And, like, I really like sitting alone. And, like, I genuinely like sitting alone. But, like... Sometimes you don't want to be sitting alone. And so um, I just like, if you don't want to be sitting alone, would love to sit next to you. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then it was a very um, like rude awakening because you graduated in December. So mm. our in-person friendship was really short. It doesn't because- feel like it was only a semester though, right? I think it was. I think it was together. I remember coming over to your apartment a fair amount. I feel like you drove me a lot of places. <laughs> Must have been love. <laughs> been love. No, I think also not to brag on myself. No, I, I say that a lot. Um, <laughs> you think I'm? I have a pretty good radar for people I like. Okay, so you were an English major. So going back to your question, I was a social justice major. Okay. Um, with an emphasis in uh, nonprofit management. And okay. That is what I finished with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't change the, the, that whole program. Um, and then I finished in December. Um, and then that same year, I moved back to. Oregon where I'm from and went home to help my thought was that my dad was uh given a terminal diagnosis and so I and I don't even know if like you and I have talked about this very much but let's do it now (laughs) yeah so he was diagnosed with ALS which is terminal um and usually the life expectancy is about three to five years. Um, and basically <clears throat> it was like the ice bucket challenge from several years ago was research for ALS or like ALS awareness, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. Um, so I always just say like, it's terminal three to five years is the norm. Um, and basically there's kind of two types of it one that starts with your like speech and swallowing and um like eating all of that like internal and then the other which the other one is what my dad has is more muscular so um he's losing all of his muscular ability um and then the speaking swallowing um Mm -hmm. that will come later 
anyway, so I moved back to Portland after I graduated. Where in senior year you found that out? I think it was towards the end of my junior year. Yeah, I think it was like spring semester my junior year. I kind of just like, uh, not instantly, pretty early on after we got the diagnosis, I was like, okay, like I'm moving back. And I'd never made a decision based on my family before. Like I had always been just very independent and very like knew that I was going to live really far away from them. So like going from Oregon to Tennessee was like kind of a no-brainer. Like that would be the closest I would ever live to them. I always imagined living internationally. And so it just was a big decision to base a decision around my family for the first time. But it felt like the only, like the only option. And so watching my dad um, decline physically and then just like all of the emotional stuff that comes from just yeah so much grief that comes from a decline that ends in death and um yeah and so um I've been anyway so then I decided to move back to Nashville um after being in Portland for almost a year because I knew that I had a lot of support here and like a lot of connections here whereas like I just didn't have like couldn't in Portland like make those connections and just yeah with Atlanta for me that was the reason I came back here during corona I moved home and then had to mental health wise was at my worst and so then I had to move home and I just being home I don't I, I mean I know our family situations are different um being home for me in some ways is so comforting And I would talk to people on the phone and they were like, Rebecca, this is the healthiest I've heard you sound in a long time. But then also like mentally, I could feel not myself soften, but I almost was like, am I capable? Mm. I was like, cool. Yeah, I'm the healthiest I've ever sounded. And also I don't have a job. I don't have anything expected of me. Okay, great. I can be like almost not an invalid, but almost just like, I, okay, I can exist and go buy my family groceries, you know? Um, but yeah, did it, did it feel regressive for you to have to go back to your house? I only lived with them for a couple of weeks when I was finding something. Yeah. So I ended up moving, um, in, it was a former botanical garden museum, (laughs) which was so cool. There was like, a music studio attached to the building and then an art studio attached to the other side and then like a space that was going to become a coffee shop. Portland thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah yeah it was fun it was very yeah very new girl like and then I had been working for a nanny agency and then also for a an ethical fashion company in Portland. So okay Hearing all of this, I feel like the story of it, if you were a TV show or something, this sounds like really like romantic. It's like, oh, ethical fashion. And I live in a botanical garden. And I feel like I can summarize a year of my life and it can sound romantic. And then sometimes it it wasn't or it was. How did it actually feel like day to day, like juggling so many things? Like, was that you kind of like, I'm owning this, I'm amazing, or did it, like, what was that like? 
Yeah, day to day, I felt so lost and I I kept using the word untethered. So I felt really like there was nothing holding me to earth (laughs) and keeping me like nothing keeping my feet on the ground basically and angry and sad and like heartbroken and there's kind of with terminal illness especially when it's kind of it's like kind of long term like three to five years is kind of long term um there's it's like a term called anticipatory grief I think and so it's like you're grieving kind of the whole future that you've always imagined. And then you're also grieving like the current loss. So I'm grieving like his, like the loss of him at first being able to walk. And then every kind of physical change required one more care from other people. And then like a mental emotional shift. So right before I left, he started not being able to eat on his own so that required a lot of like grieving like this Mm -hmm. is someone who took care of me and like it should be 30 years before anyone should have to be you know before anyone should have to be helping him in this way and so or before we expected it at least and so the amount of grief I was experiencing felt very isolating. I remember all of like the, when you were talking about ALS, I remember why I thought you were an English major is Mm -hmm. only the story of like your chronic pain. And then you were talking about wanting to write a a book about it. I think like as letters to your brother or something. Yeah. Yeah. Good memory. Thank you. Well, I just remember it like being a really cool idea. If you don't mind sharing, is that something that is continued like through college or did it come back post-college or anything? Yeah. So I had really severe chronic pain in high school and it started when I was 15 and then went spent like almost two years trying to figure out what it was and then eventually it was a brain deformation called Chiari malformation um which is like not super super rare but it's present it like can present pretty widely so it's hard to get diagnosed and not a lot of people like know are like super familiar with it mm-hmm. so um Yeah, anyways, that's why it took so long to get a diagnosis and to get treated. So I had surgery for that, Um, my, what would have been my senior year of high school. I mean, it was successful. Like the point of the surgery was to remove like a blockage because there was no ability for spinal fluid to move from my spinal cord to my brain because the, my brain was like blocking any ability for it to flow from one place to the other yeah surgery was successful but I did still have a fair amount of symptoms after the surgery but then um they were like very manageable like very livable symptoms such as what um so like before the surgery it was like really excruciating chronic pain and like tingling like an electrical shock would happen in my left arm and like my hand would go completely numb Um, especially when I sneezed. So I just didn't sneeze for a really long time. I also had very, very severe um, fatigue. So I would sleep like 
18 to 22 hours at a time. After that, it was like, I would still get fatigued pretty easily, but not nearly as bad or um, would still have like some residual, like some of my, like I had a fair amount of like short-term memory things and so that was like better but still not all the way resolved in college a lot of the really severe pain started coming back and the severe fatigue came back and so that kind of led to a whole other thing of like I was bedridden for a long time when I was 19 my sophomore year of college and and then get new like MRI scans also like be a college student and figure out how to keep living and like not have like tangible support from family because they were 2000 miles away. I was still sleeping all of the time and just felt really hopeless and felt like there was no way to move forward or that I would ever like have a different life other than like sleeping so long. Like did doctors not believe you in the past? Is that what would happen in high school? One doctor, which... It's hard to know how much of this is like age bias or how much of it was like gender bias. Um, But a lot of doctors, one doctor was like, you're just depressed. You're making this up. Um, Another doctor was like, I don't know, maybe we'll like take out one of your ribs and like open up that area. And we were like, I think we're going to get a second opinion before we like remove a rib. (laughs) I love that. Like, I don't know, like, let's take out a rib. Yeah. And we were like, hmm, I don't really think that is true. (laughs) And the surgeon that I had is like a phenomenal surgeon. Now that there's so much time or a fair amount of time, at least that's passed since my surgery, I do have a lot of respect and appreciation for him at the time. I mean, he's very like, doesn't present to have empathy <laughs> no bedside manner his language was very like yeah just very short my dad works with a lot of doctors he was like doctors are sometimes can be jerks because you know they're smart and they think they're hot stuff and he was like surgeons you can forget about it they're like the all-stars being a doctor the neurosurgeon <laughs> like the brain <laughs> Yeah, no, like, I'm sorry. It doesn't surprise me. It really affected me. Like, I did a lot of therapy on, like, all of the people in power who could have believed me didn't and, like, who could have advocated for me and could have helped me avoid, like, years of really excruciating physical pain. Like, they didn't. And so, like, what does that... And so I really had to grapple with, like, what does that mean? And, like, how do I trust, like, continue to trust myself? Yeah. I continue to advocate for myself, even if other people are not. And um, yeah, so that was hard. Like, (laughs) it was hard, but it was really important. Did you ever think like, are these people right? Am I just a drama queen? Or am I just depressed? Or I mean, just depressed. (laughs) Well, I didn't realize how severe it was because I didn't have the language for it. I just didn't know. I think, or I, I think I didn't know but also like was still in high school and was still trying to like kind of keep up appearances so I didn't go to school a lot and I didn't tell anyone at school that I was not okay and so I would be gone a lot for either being too fatigued or 
like having an MRI. I would be gone a lot. And yeah, just like, I didn't tell absolutely anyone because I was really, really scared and I didn't know how to make sense of it. And so how did it go in college once it came back and you were, you found a doctor who believed you and wanted to like work for you to have like a real life? Yeah. So that took some time. It took several months, um, which is a really long time when you are really miserable. Yeah. It must've taken maybe like six months to find a doctor. And in the meantime, I was, I spent like Thanksgiving day traveling to Michigan to find a specialist there. And she was like, told me to drink more water. (laughs) Yeah. She was like, yeah, drink more water, like use essential oils. And I was like that, like I do. (laughs) In the meantime, I, or like a lot of friendships changed over that time because I didn't know how to communicate what I was experiencing of like this really radical grief of like, felt like I had to give up every dream I ever had, every narrative that I could ever think of, of what my future could look like. And because I really, really, really thought I was going to be bedridden for the rest of my life. And I was like, well, I'm never going to have to work. And if like, I'm never going to be able to work. And if I can't work, then like, I'm going to have to move back home and I'm going to have to be taken care of by my family my whole life. And uh, like, I'm just going to be in my bed my whole entire life. Um, which really was like the core of the fear because it wasn't necessarily about moving home and it wasn't necessarily about like needing help or like getting, being taken care of. It was, it was always about like, I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life and I am going to be living from my bed. Like, yeah, undoing the narrative of like being taken care of isn't the fear of that, how much of that is rooted in ableism. Like opened my eyes to like accessibility and ableism. Uh, but my understanding of it is like the lack of access for people that have different needs in them having a body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I read a book called Sitting Pretty recently and oh, I can't remember her name right now, but she, oh, Rebecca is her first name actually. What's that about? A lot about ableism and Rebecca's author it's a memoir of her experience of being a disabled person and Mm -hmm. all of the barriers that exist that she's experienced in having a body that is different than other people's and something that really struck me she talks about having like we're punished for having bodies in the way that our system is currently set up so for things to be inaccessible like paying for healthcare in the way that our system is currently set up in America is just punishment for having a body when like everyone experiences injury or aging or just changes in your body physically at one point or another like accessibility benefits everyone because everyone does experience whatever changes in their body I had to get it for myself for the first time in July and I was with my mom and I was like why is it so expensive and she was like Rebecca you're childbearing age (laughs) And I was so pissed. I was like, can we tell them that I'm not going to be bearing any children anytime soon? But, uh, and I mean, that's like a minute thing that affects all women in our age range. You know, we're punished for just having ovaries. Like, what if you don't want kids? Or like, anyways, sorry, please continue. 
No, I mean, being sick is so expensive. Being unwell of, in any capacity or injured in any capacity or aging, like all of that is so expensive just to be in your body. Are you a La La Land fan? I like it. I like it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I am like not, definitely not a movie critic. You like that is so in your wheelhouse, it seems. Um but I like top three favorite movies is on the list. And um, she, the part where she says like, I don't want to go to this audition that he sets up for her because like it hurts too much. Like it hurts too much. And like this one might just do me in. I feel like I relate to that and just hope in general and just like keep to keep showing up after disappointment after disappointment just feels relatable so I didn't know if that felt more relatable as you are in that same field yeah yeah and um and I want to connect that back to you in a second but um yeah and it is hard and like not to be like a Debbie Downer, but when it comes to acting, it's kind of like, like you hear the success stories of these actors, like I was about to give up and like, then mm-hmm. I got that call or I had $9 in my pocket and then they're like, and then, you know, and right. so I've kind of been at this point where it's almost like kind of waiting for God to show up, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm kind of like, okay. And then it's just kind of like, but what if, it never comes. And I told a girl who I was meeting with, she was like, I know I've been called to be an actor. Like God has put that calling on my life. Like kind of almost like implying like, I'm going to be okay. Like you haven't made it, but I have a calling. And I told her, I said, God might be calling you to be an actor, but he is not, that does not mean he's calling you to be a successful actor you know, and as much as that like sucks and as like dark as that sounds. And I told her also, I was like, every actor in my graduating program of my grad school all had some kind of mental health issue. Mm. We all had diagnoses and like this industry will really, really Mm. mess with you. Um, Because your whole self-worth is on the line at all times. How I wanted to tie that back to you, what did it, feel like to like the you got the first surgery and it seemed to work and then it came back I feel like that might must be like discouraging in a different way than needing the first surgery almost you know yeah I mean it was really disorienting and question like will I ever get better will this ever fully resolve Um, or will it like partially be resolved but you know I'm still living with symptoms that like may or may not be debilitating and eventually found a doctor who just he's like has really long hair and is like pretty old and really likes UT and like everything is orange and white and um has like a lot of bobbleheads <laughs> in his <laughs> office just like so quirky and like makes me I've like cried in his office multiple times because just like 
tears of gratitude and vulnerability and like yeah um he just is really wonderful yeah so he diagnosed me with fibromyalgia and that seemed to make sense and I was on a medication and still am for that and the symptoms which fibro is like basically you kind of rule out anything else and then if your symptoms are still like widespread pain brain fog um really chronic fatigue like those are kind of the top three Mm -hmm. fibro symptoms and if everything else like blood work and scans and I don't know like everything else is kind of been ruled out Mm -hmm. fibro is kind of like the last thing um I was put on a medication it changed my life it's an antidepressant which has helped so much with both mental health and physical health because it greatly greatly reduces pain um and for a couple of years afterwards, I was still experiencing pain like every day, but it was very under control. And now I don't really experience it ever. But a couple other symptoms came back <laughs> recently. And it was another like, like kind of like, what is, what does this mean? What does like, am I going to need surgery? So it's kind of like that whole thing, mm. the whole question again. Um, And at this point, surgery would mean like moving back to Oregon so that someone could take care of me. And because the the recovery is like very, very, very intensive. And anyways, I went to this chiropractor that a friend recommended to me. um, And then someone out of their office, basically my thought was like, maybe it's something spine related that could just be fixed with chiropractic treatment and I can at least start there before I go get all those super expensive imaging done that also like has a lot of trauma attached to it for me just like the medical all of that um yeah does have a lot of really negative associations for me and so it's like maybe we can just like avoid all of that and um I found Yeah, anyway, so she, (laughs) I am like not explaining this in an articulate way at all. She referred me to someone else who works out of their office, who's a neurochiropractor, which is like a relatively new specialty from what I have researched, Googled. (laughs) There's only like 11 to 1700 of them in the world. And one of them just happens to work two miles away from me. He specializes in TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. I had a consult with him. He was like, yeah, I've treated probably like 30 to 40 of the condition that you have. And I was like, you, like, no one's ever even heard of this. And you've treated 30 to 40 of them. And he was like, yeah. And like, this is the treatment plan that we would use if you were to schedule with me. But like, take your time, don't, and I was like, I already have an appointment, (laughs) like, we're doing it, and, and so, basically, what he's found is my nervous, I, like, he's really good at explaining it in a way that's not just doctor, it's, like, real person language, but it's still, like, about brain anatomy that I, it still is, like, very over my head, but my understanding of it so far 
is that my nervous system he's he explained it to where it was like a rubber band that was being like had too much pressure on it and so it was being stretched out and then the surgery released the pressure that was like stretching it out but then when the surgery released the pressure there was not enough pressure on the brain stem so that my brain stem was like kind of he like explained it so it just kind of was like wiggling around and didn't have the right amount of pressure so that it couldn't operate because it was not in the right place and didn't have the other function like the other parts of the brain to like hold it steady I guess and so he said that like the frontal lobe was trying to do the job of the brainstem and it wasn't working which is why I was experiencing all of these symptoms and like my left and right brain like weren't communicating the way that they should have been and I told him I said that's so interesting that you can like see all of this because I had told my surgeon all of these years ago post-op that like I was having lots of issues and he just said like I don't know what you're talking about like that I didn't operate on that part of the brain and like it'll it'll probably resolve Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it got a little bit better like the further I recovered but like it still didn't resolve and so this doctor is now looking at the brain as a whole rather than the surgeon who is looking at just the part that he operated on Mm -hmm. and so he's looking now at, at the brain as a unit and how like the part that he operated on previously plays into all of the other parts of the brain because it's a whole system yeah I just to be receiving something that I didn't think was ever possible is really really huge and it feels I don't know if you felt validated at all in your recent medical experiences but I feel so validated to hear a doctor say that like anatomically I've been messed up and it's not my fault and I've been doing everything as well as I could be and it wasn't working which is why I kept asking questions and going to more doctors and no one could figure it out but like that wasn't my fault I don't know it just took a lot of blame off of me and I don't know exactly how I'm trying to say this but also just like it proves that like I feel like a lot of people maybe couldn't have pushed for as long and as hard as you did, but also validating like how hard it was the whole time. Like you were pushing to find answers and also validating like that is, that was so difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, uh, I don't know. I've found the more I learn, it's not as much about feeling sorry for myself it's almost like I stopped feeling, for me, I almost have like stopped feeling sorry for myself or like disliking myself because I'm like, oh no, like that was so hard, you know? Like, and look at, look at what I did. Like you were in so much pain and your brain wasn't functioning completely, you know? And you weren't a fully functioning person and you sought out medical help and you kept pushing to find solutions when also people that you've been told are correct by society kept going like, wait, I don't know why, but this doesn't seem true. And I'm going to keep, because I think their answer, some of them was like, sorry, sweet cheeks, this is the rest of your life, you know? And you were like, no, it's not. 
which is amazing. Can I connect it in some way um, to you are a postpartum doula? I'd love to hear about why and how and stuff, but I do think I just kind of thought like how amazing you must be at that job because women, as we were talking earlier, and then also women that have just given birth and their hormones are all messed up and everything is so all over the place. And then having someone, I I know also like first time mothers, my mom is a, um, a lactation consultant. Um, Yeah. Yeah. If you ever need a person, literally my mom loves talking about breastfeeding more than anyone I know. If you ever like have a mom, I like kid you not. If you ever need someone to like talk about breastfeeding with my mom, like we'll get calls from girls. She doesn't know. And the girl will be like crying. um, My mom will like light up and like go into like super Becky mode, you know? Um, So an IBCLC. I can't remember what the other. uh, She's she's certified in it, but I don't know which one. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember what the other one is even called. Yeah. She actually just got hired for her dream job, which she went back and got her nursing license at 51. Becky. Yeah, Becky. And uh, she, she is, um, she just got a job on the mother baby floor. Mm-hmm. Being, she doesn't want to do delivery because honestly, she's like 56 and she's like, I'm too old for that. Sure. <laughs> and so, yeah, she's the, she's the nurse now that goes into the room and is like, what's the baby's name? And like, like I don't know um but uh yeah so anyways connecting that all to you being an advocate for women when they don't they I don't even know if they're trusting themselves completely because they've just gone through like one of the most traumatic things a body can naturally go through um so like what was what was the connection of like coming back to Atlanta and being like I'm gonna take on this very specific job that none of your previous work really connects to. Tell me about that. My therapist said that your would make sense. And I was like, I don't know that it will, but that's really sweet that you think that. <laughs> and yeah, she was like, someday it doesn't like, it might be so far down the road, but sometime like all of these really random, really lonely experiences will make sense. It's really cool to be not that far removed from it and like still letting that time be really lonely and really isolating and also did inform a lot of the decisions I've currently like more recently been making. I think it's doula work especially postpartum is so like it just made so much sense for me. Um, It was like so many things that are intersecting um, like social justice related which was what I studied and really like advocacy Mm -hmm. also plays into it like you said people who are postpartum are in like such a vulnerable place in their life and like yeah it can feel so disorienting for them and so they're trying to like reorient themselves in a new in a body that's different (laughs) after giving birth with a new human that's part of their family unit and then like their all of their relationships are just shifting in this new role and so that can come with a lot of perinatal mood disorders anyways I guess like a lot of my previous experiences 
really play into being really passionate about um, taking care of both mothers and new babies and just like the family unit in general during such a vulnerable time period mm-hmm. of like really extreme transition with this new human <laughs> that gets to be formed in like the early days like are really important for like attachment and just like overall development of an infant into a person and is really really cool and that happens both through like emotional support but also tangible support um sleep deprivation can really affect a person and so being there to take over some night shifts um or really whatever it is like in the goal of the the goal of the family. I did a lot of like unofficial postpartum doula work in Portland, which is like a cool way to kind of see it somewhat full circle now. Um, And I don't believe that like everything needs to have meaning made out of it. Like some things are just really awful and really hard or like maybe it'll be 50 years down the road and then something well you know but like I don't believe that everything needs to have meaning made out of it but I do think that it's cool when it does it's cool when it does and it makes it easier to make sense out of I in my experience so it is cool to see that like this really really hard time in Portland like has informed a cool like redirection of my life um and then also another like random thing is that I was working for that small ethical fashion company and their family of the CEOs. And it was just a very like random, like cool thing that that kind of worked out. Um, and then now I'm working for a small ethical fashion company here in Nashville. And like they're somewhat connected. The brands um, have worked together in the past. And so another like really random like niche so yeah it's cool to see how those experiences have been transformed feels cheesy but like kind of transformed into things that now feel really meaningful yeah I think um kind of along the lines of like everything doesn't have to have a meaning but like, and I do love to find those meanings. But right, like, same. <laughs> um, I do. I, and that's like, that's what keeps me going. But kind of like we were talking about acting and how it's been so discouraging. Mm-hmm. And I totally have learned stuff through it. And I'm doing the podcast because of that discouragement. And I'm doing other things. But also, I'm not really saying like, oh, thank goodness, you know, I'm still kind of like, you know what, if I would have got cast on a CW show, I think I also would have been learning these lessons. And it it doesn't always have to be like, this is the happily ever after. And the other things would have been crap. That's just kind of something I've learned is like, I think your life can take so many different avenues and they can all be meaningful and it's okay to mourn. Right. Other, other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think I, yeah, can still honor the grief and kind of disorientedness that I experienced during that year in Portland while also being grateful that like something came out of it. But like when you're in 
when you're in it like if you're in this current season of like not getting cast in things like you don't you don't know like you don't have the hindsight of like this will be over or like this will have meaning attached to it some like you don't have that and honoring that is so important and and I will say time has and I mean like knock on wood I'm not asking for anything else to be thrown at me right (laughs) I will say like the longer I've been out of school and pursuing this but also just pursuing having a life that I love, Mm. it gets easier just that I can look at other things that have felt so hard and I'm on the other side of it. So Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, oh, it used to be like, if I didn't get a job just in general that I wanted, it would just feel like a knife to the heart. Oh my gosh, my world is falling apart. And then as we're, as the, as life has gone on, I'm just kind of, I'll just remind myself, I'll go, but what if it works out always has, and it's not always the way I wanted it to, or would have chosen it to chosen, but also things I wouldn't have chosen are pretty cool. Kind of all connects back to like the mental health stuff we've been talking about. It's almost sometimes you're like, I should be okay. But then it's just like, but you're not. And Mm -hmm. that is okay. And It's like there shouldn't be a shame with having health issues or not being able to handle something well. It's all in like, but what are you going to do about it? Experiencing like different people with different issues. It's often just like, it's not fair that this is happening to you, but it is your responsibility to do something. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that, and also I think like just with birthing and motherhood, Everybody makes it look so effortless. Mm-hmm. And um, I have I have friends that are giving birth now. And I don't think my friends are lying, but I've heard like friends with the, the cutest little babies and like the cutest little pictures and being like, I love my baby. But then I was like messaging and, and I've heard people say like, I've had really bad postpartum depression. And I don't think that means those pictures with the cute, cute babies are lies. Right. It doesn't mean that they're not being real because I'm sure in those pictures, right. It's so much joy, but then also in the other hand, you can have really bad postpartum depression. I think, yeah, there's, I mean, there's just so much, there's a lot of weight and pressure on new parents there. Yeah. just might not be enough awareness when you're leaving the hospital and so then you're like have this whole human (laughs) that you are responsible for and like I have heard so many stories of of people saying like oh what do we do like what now like what do we do with them I feel like especially when it's the first one yeah I just think parents are magic and I think mothers especially are magic I think like if there's a word that I feel like kind of expresses like what you've gone through and then what you're doing now it's just like being such an advocate and like did you need to go through all of this pain and trauma to be an advocate no right (laughs) you could have done a great job without it however (laughs) and I think that's also a step of adult and growing up in the Christian church where I think it's like shoved down us like suffering like this is great and you're like is it then why is it so hard anyways but like I do think like it's informed you 
I mean, cause it's just, it's in everything you do with like working in the foster care system one day and then working in ethical fashion, which I love. Um, anyways, what are you doing at the ethical clothing line? What is this? Yeah, it's called Able, A-B-L-E. I've heard of them. Um, Able publishes all of their wages and all of the countries that international vendors are out of. And so the hope is to continue with, um, to kind of challenge brands Mm -hmm. and to pressure brands into allowing more visibility and transparency as a consumer. Publishing wages will be as common as a nutrition label on food. I did buy a Target dress last year and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I hadn't bought anything from Target in like clothes wise in years. And then literally I put on the dress. I went to a show I had been working on and I looked on stage and looked at my friend and I realized she was wearing the white version of the dress (laughs) I was wearing. And I was like, it was like, it felt like, like karma or something being like, this is why we don't do it. And I like put on my coat and I texted her. And after the show, she was like, you have to show me. And I was like, no, I'm too embarrassed. And then she was like, you have to show me. And I like took off the coat and it was so humiliating and it's a cute dress, but I've never worn it again. And it just like fits in my closet. So, um, it's a little random tangent, but um, it's maybe also the foreign me that I just like want to feel safe. Right. Anyone can go to Target. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now I think I actually like used to be really obsessed with Able. I think I like listened to a podcast where like two of the founders were talking, but like how everything kind of does connect like with advocacy. And I mean, I'm saying that word a lot, but like how you're, it, it might even seem like sometimes I think like, why did I go to college? Mm-hmm. you know and get this degree and work so hard and then kind of like what was the point almost besides meeting lovely people like yourself but I think it's really interesting how if anything it's interesting how at such a young age like I went into school and I didn't know how it was going to happen but I was like I storytelling whether mm-hmm. I realized it or not I was like I'm interested in other people how does that work, you know? And then how you went into school looking at, I don't know, like how the, you were looking at the people that no one else was. And then I think it's so interesting because like that has remained your, has like made you, that's something like special that you see that other people don't. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at, at kind of like the systems that impact people that a lot of other people aren't evaluating those those same systems and and it's the same question but you've been pursuing it in two different ways it's like people in other countries that are overlooked and then it's also new new parents who have been overlooked in a different way because it's like oh they're fine you've got a bundle of joy you know and then you're like oh actually and both are so valid you know in different experiences I'm so glad that I got to combine my personal project and then getting to see you again. Oh, what I was going to say is how um, just for the job you want is like my favorite thing you've ever done. (laughs) And I was looking through our text history and it was like one text a year for the last. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't know, five years or something. And one of them was like, here's my dress for the job you want submission <laughs> from like two years ago. And I think he responded like, great, thanks. And then the next text was like, two years later, here's a TikTok. I don't know if this is still your number, but this was funny. And I thought you would like it. Well, say like, with creatives they're like listen to what people say you're good at you know and people have continually been like (laughs) you're gonna dress for the job you want and so (laughs) I need to this is a good reminder because I haven't done it in like over a year I was like going heavy yeah and then um um do you want to know something funny have you seen um the show for Netflix it's coming out it's called the fates or fate or something Mm -hmm. It's um, anyways, it's a TV show coming out and one of my friends is in it and the whole, and so she dressed for the job you want was like a thing happening at the time. So she showed the whole cast and they all started. No! And all of these like hot girls are like, oh my God, she's so funny. Like, okay, you're so funny. And I was like, thanks you know and um I wonder if they've unfollowed me because I didn't do it forever afterwards but at one point the whole cast of this new Netflix tv show was like remember me the next time you are in any (laughs) I'm doing it again yeah that's a really good reminder because also I saw someone else do something kind of similar to it recently and I was like hey I don't do it but that's my thing right (laughs) but I really appreciate you reaching out and thank you so much. Well, I love you and it's so good to see you. You too. Endless admiration for you. You're a superstar. You're a hero. No, like actually. Okay. I love you and I'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Hey y'all. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Alyssa for um, coming on and talking and being so vulnerable. And as usual, these episodes do not go. I think I like recording something in the beginning being like, I think I know it's going to happen. And then listening back, I'm like, no, this is something so different. The episode was actually two hours and 20 minutes long, but some of it was, and we got to like under an hour. I'm pretty proud. Um, but some of it was us just like catching up. And it wasn't very podcasty, but then I thought some parts in the middle were like just really great and what we were going to talk about initially. So if there is ever a transition where you're like, what? Like this was a random thing, then that is why. Okay, so y'all, I love you very much. Um, I'm trying not to say you guys so much because that's like, not always the case, but if I ever do, just know I'm trying to say y'all. I actually re-recorded this because I said you guys like so many times, and that's not even me. I'm from Tennessee. Okay, I love y'all so much. I'm trying to record this before the leaf blower outside starts again, and um, yeah, all right. I love you.